0: Well today we will conclude our series on the seven churches of revelation where we've tried to uh, associate each of those congregations with a spiritual practice that may have been most applicable or beneficial to them. It's been admittedly something of of a long journey interrupted by winter weather and paused for the celebration of Easter. I look back we started this February 7th, 77 days ago. It feels in some ways right to me that it was somewhat prolonged. Maybe it will help us to remember that the commitment to godliness, growth in Christ likeness through the practice of these various uh, spiritual disciplines is not a brief one. It's something that we've dedicated. All of ourselves, too, for all of our lives. My hope is that this series has inspired you on this journey, maybe given you some things to think about, maybe considering practices that you hadn't before, maybe considering taking up practices in a new way. So as we prepare our hearts to read the words to the last church that we'll consider, the church. And Laodicea, let's pray that God would speak. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you spoke to these seven churches, specific to their time, specific to their context. Lord, we pray that as we consider the words to this congregation, to us that we would be open that we would receive your message we ask this in the name of jesus amen from revelation 3 beginning in verse 14 and to the angel of the church in laodicea write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of god's creation If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we've done with most of the other six churches that we've examined, let's consider just a few details that we believe to have been true about the city and the church that inhabited it there in Laodicea. It probably stands to reason that I think almost all seven of these cities we've talked about kind of their strategic location, as is true of present day, even though more remote areas are not uninhabited, they are less inhabited. And so these seven churches primarily lived in cities, or primarily were located in cities where people lived. The same is true of Laodicea. As the map behind me shows of the seven churches, it's the farthest to the southeast, this gave it a commanding geographical position. The map on the right side of the slide shows it situated kind of in the glen, where the Lycus River broadens into the Meander River. So its location made the town one of very great commercial prosperity. It controlled the trade route that flowed down the river valley toward the sea coast also not on this map but on others you see that there is a convergence of three great roads that found their city or that found their center within the city of Laodicea so you can understand that the roads combined with the rivers made it a place where much commercial transaction took place. So there were jobs and careers that people could just naturally have because of where they lived. It resulted in Laodicea and also members of the church in Laodicea to be very well off. It was probably one of the richest commercial centers of the ancient world. Now, its geographical location also brought challenges. Similar to some of the other cities we've discussed, including Philadelphia, which we talked about last week, the earthquake in 17 AD that impacted Philadelphia also, also leveled Laodicea. So 17 AD, this happens, and then in 60 AD, A repeat, another earthquake, great devastation to the city. After the one in 16 AD, during which time Jesus, just to kind of place things, would have been probably early teenager or so, so before his his death and ministry and, and resurrection. After that occurred, the Roman Empire, wanting to Uh, rebuild the city, send all kinds of resources and money to the inhabitants of Laodicea. After the second earthquake, so again, just to kind of place it, probably right around the time the revelation was written, right after the second earthquake, the offer was extended again from the empire in Rome. Let us help you rebuild your city again. The Laodiceans refused. They said, we can do it on our own. We don't need your help. We have the resources. And they were reluctant to accept help from anyone. You you may recall, you may have caught verse 17. Let me see if I can go back here. Verse 17 you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. This sentiment reflected the attitude of the city as a whole. There was a sense of total self-sufficiency. In some ways, as we consider the church in Laodicea, it is difficult to overlook some of the similarities the La- the Laodiceans, and the broader American church, share. We have the ability and sometimes the propensity to put our trust in the material possessions that we have. We can be distracted by outside, outward luxury and ease. We can find ourselves placing our focus on the things of this world. All those things would have been true of the Laodiceans as well. While remembering that my assignment of these disciplines to the specific churches is subjective, and there are others who may try to tie different combinations together, and I would certainly Understand that uh, changes could have been made even to what I've shared in the weeks prior I may be more certain of this pairing than any of the others so far Realizing our similarities with this church just kind of culturally and and the blessings that god has given us us meaning the church of the united states and probably us meaning willard avenue too It might be that the discipline of confession, the discipline of confession is paramount to our growing in godliness. Confession, at its core, is the realization that we are not able to take care of it on our own. That we are not self-sufficient. In some practices of Christianity the act of confession i think probably more currently today called reconciliation is a major focus in fact even within catholicism it is one of the rites now baptists we 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 don't want to blur the line right <laughs> and so it is not something that we have necessarily Prioritized. It could be to our detriment that that is true. In introducing his thoughts on confession, and it's important in our quest for godliness, one author wrote, At the heart of God is the desire to give and to forgive. Expounding on that thought, I'd remind us that it's so much a part of who God is that he created the grand cosmic event to help us be forgiven. The event which culminated in what we celebrated just a few weeks ago. The death, burial, and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus. So it is with God's commitment to grace in mind, even at the cost of his own life, that we approach this practice, this spiritual discipline, which I'll admit can be kind of intimidating, a little daunting. I want to be clear, hopefully to assuage any of those sorts of concerns, that I am not suggesting that we are necessarily called to imitate what some denominations do. And and, and next Sunday, there's not going to be a little room right here where I'm sitting and you're going to come in and and, and share with me uh, your your sense that that that's for for some people that is very effective that is not the pr- the practice of our tradition, and I don't think confession needs to be limited to that sort of an experience. I would suggest though that there are two primary types that we should consider: corporate confession, you, and another. Trusted person, clergy or not, to be honest. And then private confession, which exists between you and God. Let's consider just briefly what both of those might look like in practice. Let's start with the hard one. (laughs) You and somebody else. You know, we can often fall into a Wicked cycle, where we who are intimately familiar with our lives and the decisions we make, both good and and bad, we can begin to think that, well, I'm I'm really kind of kind of messed up, and, and surely, surely the good folk who sit with me in the pews at at church or that I know in other elements of my life, sure, surely they don't. They don't struggle with these types of things that that I do. And in turn, we tend to get caught in a pit of guilt about the sin with which we struggle. What does that inspire us to do? Hide it away. (laughs) Well, as as long as so-and-so doesn't know that this is a stumbling block for me, I you know i'll just kind of keep this one keep this one hidden keep this one pushed down and then we begin to sense the veil that we're trying to live behind and that veil soon becomes a weight of something that feels like hypocrisy The scriptural scriptural solution to these chains of of guilt and and shrouds of darkness is accepting accepting what we admitted when we first committed our life to following Jesus. (coughs) That as a church, we are, as one author has called it, a fellowship of sinners. That's why we're here. Because we've been honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord that We need his forgiveness Because we don't choose the right thing Because we are prideful and selfish And while we certainly have the capacity and the ability through the work of the spirit To 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 be transformed into christ's image That that is not our natural go-to but we remember that we're in this together. We're all committed to progressing toward godliness, but not one of us is fully there yet. And as such, we don't engage in judgment over another person. We leave that to the only true and fair judge, the Lord God. So corporate confession, what does that look like? Corporate confession involves finding someone that we trust who's a good listener and who is also committed to following Jesus. Because it takes humility to ask them to sit down with you and, and engage in the direction given in James 5. Remember that verse? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So this idea of sharing our struggles with someone else, it is a very scriptural element of who we are as people of God. Confess your sins to one another. It might seem a little uncomfortable even to kind of think about, well, who would that be? What would that be like? Have ever done anything like that before? Maybe not. We can all, though, relate to the weight of, of secret keeping. And when truth is told, there is a freedom that is granted that is absolutely exhilarating. This is one of the gifts offered within this form of confession to another person. The other form of confession, and as I imagine it, the second form is the one that is more consistent. much more regular occurrence for us, most likely. It involves regularly spending time with God, simply confessing our sin to him and asking for forgiveness. We include it very intentionally as an element of our service. But that should not be the only time of the week (laughs) that you are offering confession to the Lord. I sometimes mention during that prayer of confession that we participate in that it's, it's not somehow a, a, a process of us saying the magic words. Well, if we, if we, if we just say it right, then, then somehow we'll, we'll convince the Lord and, and twist the arm of Jesus to, to give us grace. That is, that is not at all.' That is not at all true. Neither should our private confession be viewed as somehow trying to convince God to forgive. I think the primary purpose for private confession is that we maintain good perspective. Perspective regarding God, that God is gracious, and perspective regarding ourselves. That we need God's grace. So, as we consider how we may incorporate this in our lives, a few things that mark, a few elements that are included in a sincere confession. Specific. It's easy. It's easy. And probably not always wrong, if I can use that word. You know, God, forgive me for the things I've done that I shouldn't, or the things that I should have done that I didn't, right? Kind of a wide-ranging. But we, at least in the quietness of our own hearts, and maybe as we sit down with someone else, attempting to follow the instruction from James, We can probably get a little bit more specific. Let's see. I didn't include this in my notes. And I don't want to hijack my sermon by entering in, but just as I stand up here and talk to you all about it, things today, for for me, even, So our schedule with Elijah playing soccer today was thrown off. And I'm realizing how dependent sometimes my mood is on the schedule. Mm -hmm. And so as Dana and Elijah were getting ready to leave, was I a... uh, Was I a a joy-filled supporter of the demands that it made on me and the impact it made on on kind of my process of getting ready and and all of the the logistics? Ooh, not at all. I was a grump. (laughs) Hard to believe, I'm sure, for at least 95% of you, except this one right here, right? And you you note how that attitude rubs off on other people. And I think, well, why is is Dana in such a bad mood? She was fine until she spent 20 minutes around me this morning, right? Mm -hmm. Now, our confession could be to the Lord and to her, (laughs) you know, sorry. (laughs) But I could be more specific. And then that word, sorry. A lot within within that, isn't there? It doesn't mean that we somehow wallow in the quicksand of our sin and become so completely preoccupied with them that we we just can't move past it. That that's not what it means, but it, it does mean it does mean recognizing that in the actions we've taken, in the words that we've said, in the attitudes that we've displayed, we have strayed from the heart of the Father. We have not kept our commitment to walking in the way that Jesus did. And because of that, there should be regret. And then there's, within a confession, a determination, a willingness to do better, right? It frees us from our past sin and gives us a yearning, a renewed yearning, to, to live out <coughs> our commitment to the Lord, remembering that that is accomplished in the strength of the Lord and not our own. And then just to wrap it up, confession at its end is a joy-filled experience. We confess always remembering that we are assured of God's grace. I don't know if you if you note know kind of the transition, even within our prayer of confession. It probably some weeks is easier than others. Within some traditions, there is a time of confession, and then what is called an assurance of pardon. That we don't confess and then kind of cross our fingers and hope for the best. We confess knowing God's answer is yes. Yes, you are forgiven. May this practice motivate us to a life of honesty and progression toward the godliness that Christ calls us to.